Hey everyone, Chris here. I'll keep this announcement short. Like any listener, a good story wants to be heard. And while we are preparing a fantastic story to unfold, I want you all to know that the next two episodes, episode 12 and 13, are, let's just say, more dense. In a good way. No, I'm not about to give any spoilers, but because of this, we really want to make sure we deliver on our production quality. Episode 12 will be released three weeks from now instead of two. We really appreciate your understanding and patience in this. Also, this episode does come with a pretty heavy content warning. For a full list of those content warnings, please check the show notes. Okay, I've rambled enough. Please, enjoy the show. Dr. Charles Talbot recording for Clear Minds Inc., Outpatient Therapy Division, Internal Records. The date is July 22nd, 2022. In the room with me, I have Dr. Lucian Donahue, Elijah Olin, and H. Gray. I take it by your presence, you did not find any clues. I did not. Oh, fantastic! Excuse me? Oh, I... that didn't come out how I wanted. Apologies, Mr. Gray. H. Gray. I simply meant that I'm looking forward to you reading a story. Eli was right. You have quite the gift for it. Are you even up to read one today? Of course. Actually, H. Gray, can I read one? I don't care. Talbot, is that allowed? I'm not so sure. Please! I've been practicing my voices in everything! I don't see any harm in it, Charles. We were going to have him read one at some point anyway. No time like the present, wouldn't you agree? Fine, why not? H. Gray, if you can keep quiet, you can search your appointed box while he does. Works for me. Yes! I choose this one! Huh. This one doesn't have anything written by you, H. Gray. There are a few of those. Read what you have. In your own time, of course, Eli. Okay, I got this. Come on, Eli. You practice this. Hey guys, it's your boy Eli here. Today we're going to talk about... Okay, got it. Hey guys, it's your boy Eli here today. We're going to be reading one of H. Gray's files. It's a bright red folder. Mm. It feels light. Only a few pieces of paper in here. So this might be a short one, folks. Let's open it up and see what we got. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so this all appears to be one big handwritten letter. Looks like it was ripped out of a standard college rule notebook. It smells nice, like Christmas. Maybe pine? With a bit of smoke? Hmm. The ink is half faded, so it must have been written a while ago. I'm just peeking at the end, and yep, as I thought, he signed it with his name. The letter was written by someone named Owen Doyle. I'm reading from the top. If you're reading this, then you have found my cabin. Before you read any further, I'm going to give you the best piece of advice you'll ever get. Leave. I don't care if you drove here, or stumbled upon this place while hiking. Hell, I don't even care if a grizzly chased you to the door. 
you would have better odds with one of those things than staying even a minute longer in this cabin. Leave. Now. I'm serious. Don't read any further. Just get out. If you haven't left by now, then it wouldn't matter how many times I write it. It is my greatest hope, however, you read this in the comfort of anywhere else. This letter might just be my last words flung out into the void, read by no one, but it's the only thing that might keep me tethered to a semblance of sanity. For posterity, and because I can, I'll start before the beginning. A little bit about me first. I hate people. It's nothing personal, not truly. If I'm being honest, it's not just people. The city is always moving, always changing. Buildings rise and fall throughout my life. Co-workers come and go, and friendships fall apart and form. I hate all of it. So a few years back, I bought a cabin. The property was just outside the hustle and bustle of every day. So, when that pesky thing called life finally calmed, I took that brief window to finally make the trip. Perfect timing. Winter was just starting to settle in. Out of all the times of the year, I hate winter the most. Roads are bad, people don't know how to drive, and everyone is pretending that their family has no flaws. Fake cheer is spread out in the streets, as everyone pretends they are suddenly really into Christmas carols and hot chocolate. So far, you might think I'm just some miserable jerk. That type of person who just hates everything. Truth is, I'm not. Winter itself as a season, I love. The snow is beautiful, and the cold has always been refreshing. I guess it's deeper than that, though. It's the idea of winter without all that holiday crap. I love the idea of isolation, of calm, of blankets of white that cover the ground in treetops. That is the heart of it, I think. And why I needed to get a cabin in the first place. I just needed some space, some alone time. I felt this wave of relief wash over me as I drove out. Tension melting off me with every mile. My jaw unclenched, and for the first time, I realized it was clenched in the first place. I let my mind go into autopilot, and just listened to my windshield wipers and radio. I can say with certainty that the long drive was the happiest and most peaceful few hours of my entire life. The excitement of being away from it all, away from people, away from the city, from electronics, from everything. It swelled up inside me as I pulled up to my little cabin. It was my own slice of heaven. 525 square feet of wood and stone, fully furnished with an overhang and pile of chopped wood. I was practically skipping when I unloaded my supplies from the truck. The cabin itself sat on a patch of clearing, 25 feet in either direction of flat ground. Just beyond that space was a thick tree line of a pine forest. 
By anyone else's standards, the first few days were broadly uneventful. My days were spent reacquainting myself with how to live off the land, enjoying the soft flutter of snowfall. Each morning, I was greeted with the low hum of wind rattling my windows and a fresh layer of white all around me. Everything became a relaxing mantra. Four minutes and 28 seconds for coffee with my French press. Sixteen steps from the kitchen to the front door. Five steps on the deck to that pile of chopped wood under a top. Twenty-three steps back inside into the fireplace. Six steps from the fireplace back to the kitchen. Seven minutes to retrieve and heat a can of beans on the stove. Three minutes and twenty-seven seconds to wash up. Sixteen steps from the front door and to retrieve my bow. Check my watch. Ten steps across the snow and into the tree line. The routine brought me comfort. It brought me a sense of dependability that is often lacking in the world beyond the cabin. I remember the first time my sacred routine was changed. It was a small detail, one that most people would have missed. A detail that, although annoyed me, I wrote off to a miscount. Eleven. Eleven steps from my cabin to the tree line. I made a mental note to count my footprints after hunting small game. I was resolved to find my mistake. I didn't make one. As clear as day, my steps were exactly eleven. This small detail dug at me, just under the skin. The added fact that my hunt had zero results did not help the matter. I fed the furnace and then myself. I tried to push the number 11 out of my mind. Several times I had to remember to relax my jaw as I went about my night before turning in. The next morning, I had completely forgotten about that number. As I went about my routine, I checked my watch and grabbed my bow. Fifteen. Fifteen damn steps. I stood at the tree line, my stare flicking about the property, my logic trying to work its way through my aggravation. The clearing was bigger. Part of me denied that simple fact. Another part of me couldn't help but see it. It was like a single letter in a 12-page essay that was slightly a different font. Easy to miss, but once you spot it, it's all that you can see. I was distracted through my hunt. I almost missed the clear signs in the forest. Bear tracks. It was alarming at the time. The grizzlies in the area should already be denning. Contrary to the popular belief, bears don't hibernate all of winter. It could vary, depending on the area from a few days to a few months. I had my trapping license, so I made a mental note to lay a few bear traps. I knew that as winter continued to roll in, I would have less and less success hunting. That wasn't the issue. I had prepared for that coming here. Hunting was part of my routine, and one of the few things to pass time. 
I wasn't going to give it up. When I got back to the cabin, I retrieved the traps in the back seat of my truck and brought them inside. I set them down near my bow as a reminder, and passed the night reading a book by the fire. My routine reset in the morning. I checked my watch, grabbed my bow and traps, and went out. Twenty-five steps. I knew the trees had moved again before even crossing the clearing. The revelation hit me like a brick to the face. I couldn't make any sense of it. Denial weighed heavy on me as I made my way. I focused on counting. I set up my traps around the perimeter of the tree line before hiking further into the forest, and for good measure, laid a few down deeper in the woods. Not only did I memorize the trap locations, but I marked them on my map, which only returned my mind to the ever-growing tree line. I returned to the cabin with a growing sense of unease and finished my night. Slowly, I began to contemplate. The options were stray thoughts. I couldn't call anyone, even if I got service out here. I didn't bring my phone. I made the hard commitment before driving out that I would bring no technology. I could always risk driving back, but I wanted to avoid that as much as possible. The roads would only worsen as time went, and if I had to guess, they were plenty bad already. I decided to stick to the plan. A few weeks out here. I just had to make it to the first thaw, and the roads would be much clearer. I had enough supplies plus some to last until then. Any longer, and I would have been stranded for all of winter. That thought caused fear to creep its way forward. I beat it back with my logic. I was confident in my survival skills. What's more, I had my flare gun, if things got too bad. According to the map, there was a ranger station not too far that would absolutely be able to spot it if I fired. As I lay in bed... I stayed firm to my commitment. A few bears on an increasing property line wasn't going to scare me off. I needed this trip. I woke each morning to see the fresh snow extending further and further away. A sense of dread began to overtake me. I missed my window. The snow nearly reached my knees. There was no way my truck would make it through this. I resigned myself to waiting it out inside the cabin. I rationed my food and ignored the stomach pains that edged their way forward. Panic didn't take hold of me until my few weeks were up. I exited my cabin. The tree line was a far-off visage. Hints of green and pointed shapes. It would take hours of trekking through the snow to reach them. My stomach growled, followed by a dull pain. The supplies would only last for a few days, a week, if I stretched it. I weighed the options. In a few days, the thaw would happen, in which case I could go home, and this dream-turned-nightmare would be over. But what if it didn't? What if I had my timing off? What if I had to wait all winter? The amount of calories I would have to burn for a hunt would be a huge waste if I came back empty-handed. I would have to risk it. I would have to prepare for the worst-case scenario, something I should have done from the start. I began my journey toward the trees, 
The cold bit at the parts of my face that were exposed. Snow flurries clouded my protective goggles, my own breathing mixed with the near-constant howls of the wind. My lungs burned as I pressed forward. Looking back, I realized that I'd only crossed half the distance. My thoughts turned to giving up, to heading back to the safety and comfort of the cabin. My stomach, on the other hand, forced me onward. Sudden pain shot through my body. I knew instantly what happened. I stepped on one of my traps. I didn't have time to think it through as I collapsed to one knee. Survival instinct took over. I began to claw at the snow while trying to stifle my pain. Just getting visibility drained most of the initial adrenaline I had, which was replaced slowly by shock. I fumbled at the trap, trying to use whatever remaining strength I had to pry it apart. I just needed to get both the springs down at the same time and the clamps would fall open. It wasn't working. I needed a new solution and I needed one quickly. Logic pushed past the pain. It was a small whisper at the back of my mind, but it was enough. I took off my scarf and wrapped it around the springs one at a time. Using my bow as a stick, I began to slowly twist the cloth together. I knew the next step, and surprisingly, it was the hardest. I struggled to undo just enough of my gear. Urine would strengthen the fibers, and with my quickly draining strength, I would need it. I can't explain how hard it is to piss while your foot lays mangled and pain throbs through you. After a few false starts, I was able to get a decent stream going. I put myself away and began the twisting motion. It was working. I had fought back the urge to just pull away when I had enough room. I knew the trap would be much faster than me. I reset the pins and slowly lifted my leg out. I sat in the snow for a long moment, letting relief and pain run through me. I was far from safe. I still had to make the trip back to the cabin. An hour, at least. On two good working feet. The thing is, bear traps are designed to keep an animal in place. Movies always get it wrong. They will definitely snap your bones and they will leave a nasty bruise. The teeth aren't sharp, they'll draw blood, sure, but they won't cause gashing wounds that will make you bleed out in minutes. The smart thing would have been to dress my wound at any point on the way back. The new situation re-sparked my adrenaline, though, and I didn't deal with the issue until I crawled into the cabin and shut the door behind me. At that point, I barely had enough time to wrap it tightly before I blacked out. I regained consciousness to a bone-chilling cold. The fire had long gone out, and the sun had already set. The throb of my foot quickly reminded me of my situation. I ignored the cold for a moment and tended to my injury. Twenty-two minutes and forty seconds later, I had it rewrapped and made a splint from one of the few chair legs. I used my bow as a poorly improvised crotch and hobbled outside to get firewood. Ten minutes and eighteen seconds later, the fire's heat began to work its way across the cozy space. I sat there for a long moment, oscillating between foul language and being scornful that my hunt couldn't have possibly gone worse. 
My temper cooled as the cabin warmed. I knew I was screwed, but this was a whole other level of screwed. Food was running low, I was snowed in, and I was hurt. God forbid my injury became infected. I unevenly made my way to the box under my bed. The flag gun. I should have used it sooner, but I can be so damn stubborn sometimes. I loaded the flare into the chamber and hobbled to the edge of my porch. I aimed high. The dim red glow illuminated the night. Crimson spilled onto the white snow, giving the distant forest an ominous, almost taunting image. My blood captured and reflected the quickly fleeting light, a scattered trail leading to my doorstep. I made a mental note to fire off one more in the morning. I fell asleep quickly that night, exhaustion winning over pain. I tried my best the next day to stay on routine. I added changing bandages and inspecting my wound to the ever-growing list. The pain was sharper. I didn't have any adrenaline or denial to aid me in that any longer. I made my way to the front door. My mind pinged a small detail with horrifying implications. From the kitchen to the exit took me seventeen steps. Seventeen. It was supposed to be sixteen. I convinced myself that my count was off. My gait could have been affected by my injury. My hand nearly dropped the flare gun when I was outside. A new layer of snow erased all evidence of the day before. My tracks were completely gone. The trail of blood stopped at the end of the overhang. I couldn't see the forest anymore. In all directions, it was just blank white, extending to the horizon. Snow was gently falling from the light gray sky above. My arm rose weakly upwards with the flag on in hand. Hope was absent from my movements. Over the next few days, my supplies dwindled to near nothing. My foot had turned a dark purplish color and swelled nearly three times its size. The few lacerations had crusted over and yellow liquid oozed from the scabs. The first aid kit had antibiotics, but they didn't seem to help with it. After all, I knew what it was, an infection. Every night and day I shot a flare. I thought I overprepared the amount I could need. I used them all. Twenty steps. It took twenty steps to get from the kitchen to the door. Stress piled onto my shoulders as I sat at the table eating my last portion of beans and jerky. I couldn't decide whether I should force myself to stay up through the night or get as much rest as possible. On one hand, I needed this injury to heal. On the other, the expanse of the cabin seemed to only happen as I slept. Then there is the food. I was out. If I was lucky, I would have three weeks before I starved. I doubted that I could make it to the full three. At one point, I just tried to leave. The battery was dead. 
the truck was never an option. It wouldn't even start. Like an idiot, I left the door slightly cracked when I retrieved the traps, which seemed like ages ago. I had given up. I resigned myself to the fact that I would starve and die here. If I had brought a gun, I would have taken the quicker way out. As it stood, I didn't, and still don't, have the stomach for ending my life in any other way. I gave it plenty of thought, and often brought myself close. But my need to live and inert cowardice had always won out. A few more days of not eating and I found myself weak and sluggish. The pain of my stomach was constant. The swelling had gone down, but the color of it had only become more ghoulish. In one of my braver moments, I stood above the kitchen sink, my hand gripping my hunting knife. My eyes traced the sharp blade, its tip resting on my forearm just below a vein. One quick movement. One slash and it could all be over. One small amount of pain for a small amount of time and my suffering would come to an end. I gripped tighter and pressed down. The steel pierced the few layers of skin and warm wet blood trickled down to meet the blade. I inhaled deeper and committed to the action of a quick swipe. My survival instinct took over. I altered the direction and the blade swung outward. It caught the tip of my pinky finger. It was too late. The sharp metal neatly bisected a decent chunk of fatty flesh from bone. I cursed and went for a towel, wrapping my injury tight to stop the bleeding. As I applied pressure, my eyes locked under the section of finger in the sink. My stomach growled, and my mouth watered. I tore my thoughts away. What was I thinking? I nearly wretched at the idea. Survival instincts took over. I needed calories. I put a log in the stove. The grumble of my stomach called out as I smelled my own flesh sizzling in a pan. The skin stuck and acted like glue as I flipped it over. It took less than a minute for the small piece of meat to cook. I pierced it with a fork and brought it close to my mouth, hesitation staying my hand. The smell of cooked meat only deepened my hunger and I swallowed lumps of saliva. The conscious thought of what it was caused the motions of throwing up, but there was nothing rising from my stomach to be expelled. I didn't want to admit to myself how good it tasted. My body craved more. That night, I laid awake. I couldn't believe what I did. I was horrified. I couldn't help but to think it was a waste. All that built up for a non-consequential amount of calories. I found myself secretly hoping that I had cut off a bit more. Firewood was getting low. I started to ration it. Most of my day and night was spent under the covers, trying to distract myself with the singular book I brought. Hunger reached new heights, and soon I found nothing could tear me away from the memory of cooked meat. Thirty 
two steps. I gave in. Base needs beat any logic I might have had. I stood above the sink. My hunting knife's blade rested at the base of what was left of my pinky. I took a deep breath and fought back the urge to look away. <sighs> Once the pain subsided and I tended to my self-inflicted wound, I turned my attention to the now-separated pinky finger. I was careful as I stripped away the fatty skin from bone. Part of me worked slowly because I didn't want to do this, and another part of me wanted to get to as much as I could. I looked at the measly pile of flesh on the cutting board. Would it be enough? Would it be worth it? I chopped off my other pinky and repeated the process. It wasn't enough. I carved thin strips of flesh from my leg. Not too much, but just enough to make the meal worth the effort. For the first time in a while, I felt satisfied with my meal that night. Even if there was an underlying sense of sickness towards the act. I pulled my bed to the kitchen. The cabin kept expanding, and I knew eventually it could take hours to get there otherwise. The firewood ran low. I only used it if it was for cooking. Eventually, my mind began to pavlov itself. I was surrounded by empty cold space. My only source of heat and food was the oven. Each time I carved off a finger or a toe, each time I carved off strips of flesh from my body, each time... I was rewarded with food and warmth. I write this not only as a warning and to tell my tale while maintaining my sanity, but also because I must. Not much of me remains. This may be my last chance to write, as I have resorted to breaking down the furniture for firewood. Between my injuries and the ever-expanding space, finding a chair could take hours. I don't even bother counting my steps anymore. I am going to die here. I wanted to be alone. I craved isolation. The cabin gave me that. But it took so much more. Aside from his name at the end, that's all we have, folks. Let's turn it over to our guest today. Mr. Talbot, thoughts? Before that, H. Gray, was this a work of fiction or an actual case? Owen sent me out to a cabin. The letter was found just inside. Chunks of spoiled meat were all around the kitchen area, nearly on every surface. <laughs> I'm assuming the cabin wasn't miles long. It was not. I didn't stay too long after finding the letter. Did you find Mr. Doyle? No, but I didn't exactly search the place. Oh, shame. Personally, I find auto-cannibalism intriguing. Charles, that's quite disgusting. Yeah, that's pretty gross, Mr. Talbot. Not in a weird way. Oh, you've discovered another way. I'm interested in what kind of person would do that to themselves. What causes a person to consume pieces of their body? How do they decide what fractions of themselves are disposable? The delusions that must come attached to that way of thinking must be extraordinary. 
Aren't you usually all annoyed with complex diagnosis? Usually, yes. I do make exceptions, of course. Ah, I see. Mr. Gray, Gray. how goes your search for clues? Yield anything of interest? Uh, Not yet. Olin has a lot of notes. Talbot, would it be possible to search the office? Not for any papers, just for, like, physical evidence. Uh, scratches in the wood. Cigarette butts. Things like that. Of course, um... How about after business hours? Uh, assuming Donahue doesn't mind staying late with us. Not at all. So, not to look a free labor horse in the mouth, but... It's been weeks since Dr. Olin would have gone missing, correct? Yes. So, isn't that a long time? I'm sorry, I don't mean to upset, but aren't you more likely to find, well, you know, a corpse? No. Yeah, I may have freaked out for, like, the first couple of days, but Dad is... He can take care of himself. I have no doubt that he is alive. We are more worried about the state he is in. Fascinating. H. Gray, how much do you have in that box? Donahue and I have other work we must get done today. I finished up a little while ago. We'll get out of your hair. Eli, let's go. Yup! Thanks again for letting me read one, Mr. Talbot. Eli, hold on. Uh, yeah? The tape recorder? You still have it. Oh, (laughs) yeah, sorry about that. Hey, um, can I borrow it? Like, that would be great for my channel. (laughs) Absolutely not. Aww. Eli, give him back his recorder. Here. This episode was produced by Christopher George and Dalton Lewis. It was written by Christopher George. Script editing was done by Dalton Lewis. Charles Talbot was played by Christopher George. Lucian Donahue was played by Dakota Hamlin. H. Gray was played by Michael Williams. And Eli was played by Dalton Lewis. Thanks again to everyone, past, present, future, for listening along. Please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash thepatientfiles. Don't forget to give us those shiny stars and hit that little bell. Seriously, it really helps. Until next time, stay safe and stay sane.